Hi, Raphael Bender here, founder of Breathe Education, and you're listening to the Pilates Elephants podcast with me and my co-host, Chloe Bunter. There are many things that are awesome about the Pilates industry. However, many of the practices we take for granted are out of date or just plain pseudoscientific. These are the elephants in the room in Pilates, and we're here to talk about them openly and honestly, and with a fair few F-bombs thrown in. This show is about debunking the myths and giving you science-based tools to become a better, happier, and more fearless teacher. If you've been enjoying the show and you want to give back, give us a five-star rating and write us a glowing review on Apple Podcast app. That'll help other instructors find the show and let us know we're making a difference. Today, Chloe and I are going to talk with Nick Hanna. Nick is a physical therapist, physiotherapist in London, Ontario, in Canada. And we talk about communication as the next frontier in um, rehabilitation and working with clients who have chronic pain. And um, I think you're going to get a lot out of today's conversation with Nick Hanna. Hey, imagine this. When you meet a new client, you know exactly what to do. You're confident because you already have a plan, a plan that's so powerful and versatile that you can use it with any client, big clients, small clients, clients with pain in weird body parts, clients with diagnoses ending in itis, osis, or opathy, clients with neurogenic pain, whatever that is. Well, actually, neuro just means nerve and genic means produced by. So neurogenic pain is just pain that is produced by nerves. Anyway, clients with balance issues, Clients with pain in any body part or in many body parts. All with this one weird trick. No, I'm just joking. There is no one weird trick, of course, that's going to solve everybody's problems. But if you come and study with us in our Diploma of Clinical Pilates, you will genuinely learn how to help people with all of those issues that I mentioned, plus many more. You'll learn a deep understanding of how the human body works and of modern pain science and evidence-based best practice. And you'll learn how to apply that knowledge to genuinely help people with their musculoskeletal issues. This is a one-year in-depth program. I would love to have you in the program. It's 100% online, no travel required at all. You can do it totally from your lounge room. If you're interested, I'd love to have you. Come and join us. Click on the link in the show notes, and I look forward to seeing you in class. Go on. Click on the link. Hey, Chloe. Hey, Raph. Hey, Nick. Hey, Raph. <laughs> awesome to see you. Yeah, Mike, it's been years. Yeah. Yeah, when was the last time you two talked? It was literally years, right? Yeah, Maybe it was like two years? 2018, 2019, something like that. Yeah. Bet some moves have happened since then, Nick. Mm. I've grown up so much. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Nick, you know, I can't, you know, can't tell you how much Chloe's been messaging me about how excited she is to talk with you. And I'm <laughs> Calm it down, Ralph. <laughs> no, what I think, I think more how how this went was Nick's gonna come on our podcast and basically pay the shit out of me for a, an hour and tell everyone how much he loves Catweb more than me. Right, right, Nick. <laughs> Let's just get it out of the way. Let's like, if we get it out up front, it's out of the way. I have a there's a long-standing inside joke among myself and Chloe where I just kind of shit on her and tell her that I think Cat Web is is the bee's knees with Pilates in Australia and I think she's way better than Chloe and 
it's just a lot of fun. This is this is Shout how Nick, Nick's and my friendship has uh, developed over the last five years or so. <laughs> yeah, if Chloe isn't giving me the finger when I'm chatting with her, then I'm I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> so Nick, um, oh, it's so true, so true. Can you can you start out by you know rather than us doing this big kind of wind up introduction for you, could you just start out by sharing with the listeners like who you are, a little bit about your backstory and and how you see, how you define what it is that you do these days? Sure. Yeah. I'm a physiotherapist in Canada for those of you in the Antipodes. (laughs) Don't, it's far away from you guys. So my, my backstory, I I don't, I don't want to get bogged down with kind of my schooling and all that, but I I knew I wanted to become a a physiotherapist back in, way back in high school. And, and I just kind of, it, it had to do with me seeing physiotherapists work with my grandpa and, and that was like a, a neuro rehab setting. So totally different from what I do now. I'm, I work in more of an outpatient orthopedic clinical setting now. So I see, I see just people who hurt generally who, who walk through my door. And I think what what my role is as a physiotherapist and just more broadly as a health professional is I'm I'm trying to assist my clientele in finding insights for change. So really I'm this architect of change because I think at at the heart of what allied health professions are doing are um, related to behavior change at its at its soul and at its core. So I I think my role is to help people find um, just opportunities in their lives to get from where they are now to where they want to go. And I'm helping to clarify where that direction might be. And then I'm, yeah, I'm that, I'm that coach. I'm that, you know, I'm that person in their corner who's helping them see for themselves what they're capable of. And then uh, showing them a little bit of the way, but hopefully, eventually, they they can kind of lead on themselves, and they don't need me anymore. So, if that's different from any preconceived notions of what a physiotherapist does or is, uh, then I'm happy to chat about it. But yeah, that's, I, that's I just what want I a do. massage, bro. Like, um. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, so. In, in all seriousness, I think it might be a bit different than what a lot of people uh, assume a physiotherapist does or a physical therapist, as they're called in the US, that, you know, I, I I guess a lot of people would assume that, you know, what they would, the treatment they would get from a physiotherapist would be like specific exercises to correct their posture or activate their muscles properly or maybe, you know, massage or manipulation or stretching or, um, you know, uh, tens maybe, or, you know, taping, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But you didn't really mention any of that. You said communication, coaching, seeing possibilities, <laughs> co-creating the future. So can you, can you, can you, can you talk about that, uh, that difference? Yeah, I, I think, I think what you're getting at is, is how, and, and it, it really relates to how most physiotherapists are, I've just sort of domesticated into practice, like our, our schooling and our whole essence and our, a lot of the educational system still, and it's evolving some, which is nice to see, but they, they very much groom us to be these 
quote unquote, like fixers and, and to have a fixer mentality coming out of school. And I, I was like this, I was very much like a technician, you know, you hurt, you come see me, I'm diagnosing why you hurt, I'm applying my skill set onto you, like I'm doing things to you to make you feel better. And we do that for a little bit of time and then uh, you're all good to go and, and, and we go. But what, what I, what I realized is that, you know, while some of those things you mentioned may be little pieces of the puzzle for a rehabilitation program, you know, sometimes it's okay to create some, some sort of pain modulation or some sort of give somebody a relief, particularly if they're suffering or having a rough go with it. Like I, I certainly have no problem with those things you mentioned, but as part of the the grander whole of rehabilitation, you know, change often has uh, happens over a longer period of time, and often not on my time. And I I call back to this message message that I often give my clients that they're they're with me for such finite time in their week that the the time we spend together should be very much fruitful of education, you know, planning for how they can, they can implement things in their time, because 99% of their life is not with me. And so knowing that it's, I very much spend a lot of my real rehabilitative process now focusing on the how of rehabilitation, not the what, not the what I'm doing. It's okay to do certain techniques, but rehabilitation should be with people, not to people. And that little click, that little shift in perspective is very much what led me into this, um, this more of a coaching role where, again, helping people find insights for change, helping people plan accordingly, helping them understand what it actually takes to change where they are now and line that up with, with what their expectations are, what their wants for rehabilitation are, and then coming to agreements to that. And uh, it's very much an art. It's very much an art form. And yeah, I'm not I'm not going back. You know, what you say there, I, I just want to unpack that a little bit. Sorry, Chloe, if that's all right. right. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, you know, you talk about, you talked about um, being an agent for change and a facilitator and a coach um, and that change changed, you know, happens over time. And you know all of that underneath all of that to me is the, the the implication that it's the the client you know is they're they're the one doing the changing, um, and whereas I you know I guess the 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 implication under the the model you know where where you as the physiotherapist do stuff to the client is that you're the one making the changes you know they're just the passive recipient of the of the treatment, of the change, of the whatever. You're the, you make the decisions, you're steering the ship, your foot's on the accelerator and the brake. Um, whereas, you know, so you're positioning yourself as a, a guide, a coach, a, you know, a, a partner, but the client's making change. But so so can you just talk us through like just a little bit of the, you know, the nuts and bolts of that. So if the client needs, you know, comes in and, and you know, they need to activate X, Y, Z muscles more, like how are they going to do that? Like don't you need to help them? With that, he and by the way, yeah. he did activate in air quotes. Yeah, there's air quotes. Yeah, Raph, you, 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 that came out way too okay. deadpan for too the deadpan. air quotes okay. to be yeah okay. assumed. Yeah, that, getting at the nuts and bolts of of the process. Well, I I hear people talk about um, 
you know, models for how they roll out care being being patient centered or client centered. And I actually I actually don't necessarily buy into that model entirely. I, I, I operate more from a like a relationship centered model of care, meaning there are two people, you know, involved in a in a rehabilitative process. So um you know, what you were talking about in that fixer oriented model, that's more like doctor centered or like clinician centered, like, let's do everything that I want. And it just doesn't make sense, because it's not me with the it's not me with the problem. Right. So um, just I'll echo back to the the whole differentiating of time, like most of your time is without me. So I, I operate very relationship centered, meaning there's two people we both come with our own sets of experiences, our own sets of knowledge, our own sets of biases, and and therefore we should both be contributing to the rehabilitative process. Yes, I very much have a depth of knowledge of, you know, pain neuroscience, biomechanics, neurophysiology, biology, um, all these things, but I don't understand your life the way that you do. And so we both need to be co-creative and collaborative in our efforts to design a program that fits with your lifestyle, which you know about, but implements expertise or movement strategies or (laughs) muscle activation (laughs) strategies that I might bring to the table. And then having a discussion for what our touch points need to be and what our sessions need to involve. And that's going to be different for different people. And that's what I love about my job. It's it's always a, a different subset of circumstances. Mm. And every rehabilitation session will look different depending on the needs of that person in that moment, on that day. And and it's it's just the nature of life that shit happens. And, you know, by by having more fluidity to the way you approach your care, um, meeting the person where they're at in that day, then you can respond to the needs of that person more effectively in that moment instead of the the preconceived sort of cookie cutter, this is what we're going to do, lay down, I got you, let me rub it out today, no big deal. <laughs> so it needs I'd, to be more collaborative. So I'd love to know, and I mean, I, for those that don't know Nick already, Hannah Moves on, on Instagram is, you know, you've, you've been putting out some some solid content uh, there for years now. I mean, I think that's probably how I first stumbled across you. And is your brother still doing the the uh, the graphic design? Hell yeah! I, Hell um, yeah! I'm no uh, I'm no I'm no G in that regard. Yeah, Hashtag Zach Hanna. <laughs> Zach's work's awesome. So the cr- the crux of what you're talking about here really is is coming down to to communication and building a therapeutic alliance. And I know that um, what I hear from a lot of our our grads and particularly those, you know, that are working in more of a clinical setting um, or with clients with um, persisting pain is the, the client that the low self-efficacy client, for want of a better word, the client who's like, you know, I've. I've had enough of this. I just, I need someone just to fix it for me. I'm not, I'm not feeling hurt. I'm not feeling all of these things, you know, fix it for me. How, how do you work? Cause what, what are some tips on how to build self-efficacy in the class? Like, what do you do in, in regards to that, that setting, the communication, the, what are some, 
ways? Because I'm assuming you've got different communication techniques depending on the client that's presenting in front of you and the individual human and, you know, you'll have the client that's like, hell yeah, I'm so ready to, like, let's just go. Whatever you give me, I'm going to do it and I'm going to, you know, religiously do those exercises that you give me at home and et cetera. And then you've got the client that is like coming in going, I know, I need you to adjust my back or I need you to take my, I need you to fix this pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not, again, it's not an easy answer like that. Yeah, that no, I don't expect as- it to you're be asking easy. The hard, you're asking yeah. the hard question. But but so, I mean, b- yeah, building self-efficacy is is a, a hell of a beast when you're, mm. you know, g- given what you've just said, like if, if we are considering a person who's, you know, living with persistent pain, not living well, like not having a g- good go of it. Yeah. They're often, oftentimes people with, uh, complex pain presentations that are persisting often have very complex lives and and uh, a lot going on. Like it's not always the case, but generally speaking, complex presentations often come from complex lives and yeah. histories. So, so when when you see a person like that and they're just despairing and hopeless and and just they can't see a way forward. I mean, it it has to start with listening and just let letting them letting them explain their situation, explain their frustrations, and then echoing those things back to them, like really using, um, hopefully this isn't going to confuse your audience, but uh, like cognitive empathy skills, which is the ability to put yourself in their shoes. So, but hearing their, hearing their full experience and emotional empathy is when you take on the experience and the feelings of another. So why it's useful is you can actually experience in your own body what they're going through in that moment. And so it helps you better understand their circumstances. But I'm going to give one example of something I do, Chloe, like just because for people who see no capacity for change and that they they just like forget it, like there's no point to yeah. even trying. What I usually what I usually help them understand in terms of understanding a, a process for change is think of something in your life that you are already very much an expert in, like something that maybe you went to school for or you have a career in, or maybe it's a hobby of interest. And then I, I ask like, what did it take? What did it take for you to get to that level? And what it does then is it, it gets them very much in a forward thinking, sort of uh, puts them in the driver's seat puts them them in a creative thinking mode, um, helping them understand that, mm, okay, this this actually was a a lot of work. Not only was it a lot of work, it was a lot of work over a long period of time. I probably went through some failures. I learned from my mistakes. I got back on the horse. I tried again. I failed again. I put the reps in. I maybe asked other people for help. And so I talked to them about things that they know themselves to be to be part of their lived experience that they have experience with and then i just reframe it and say well why why don't we apply those same principles those same set of circumstances and that same orientation to this challenge that we're facing how is that any different like how how could we and and it's very quickly then it it gets them away from everything that's fucking wrong yeah and and puts them in a creative solution-oriented thinking mode 
which is what rehabilitation needs. Like change is hard. Like change is really hard. <laughs> change is really, really hard. It's really like hard. it's really hard. Like it's really, really fucking hard. I love that. Mm. I, that's awesome. The reconceptualizing of it. It's awesome. What a great time for a break. Posture is a massive part of how Pilates is taught, and there are so many myths and misconceptions surrounding posture. Like, does it actually relate to muscle balance or pain or anything? Well, I've just written an ebook called Three Myths About Posture in Pilates, and in it, I share the science on posture, what's true and what's a myth, and you might be surprised. In it's free to download. Just use the link in the show notes. Uh, now, our mission is to empower you with science-based tools to become a better, more effective, more successful, and happier instructor. And this ebook is a great place to start. So you can find the download link in the show notes. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Can I can I just ask you for a, a bit more of unpacking of this idea of change? Because I'm just imagining again. Uh, I'm trying to put myself in the in the shoes of you know, many of our listeners because they're, you know, and they would expect, okay, I'm going along to see Nick because I've got a sore back. Um, Nick's going to massage me, strengthen my back, you know, stretch me out, whatever. And you're talking about change. Like, what am I going to change? Like, what change are we talking about? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I guess I'm referring to just the change from the sort of distressing, unpleasant, uncomfortable circumstance of living with pain or some other musculoskeletal complaint and getting away from that, like changing, changing that circumstance. Like that's really what, what I'm getting at. And do you, do you want to further pick away at that? Cause I, I, I'll riff if you want me to riff. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I want would you to like, riff. yeah, riff. And I want you to throw in a bit more, throw in, throw in a bit more around. You were talking about cognitive empathy. I want you to give us a bit more insight into that too, please. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can talk about empathy. So, you know, I, I sort of dichotomize empathy into, which is, I sort of touched on earlier how it's the, the taking on of another's emotional experience. And this is something that happens um, automatically and unconsciously, um, particularly in a very compassionate, caring setting. Um, and so it, it's really, truly taking on the feelings of another person. And um, where, where it's slightly different from cognitive empathy, which is a cognitive empathy is, is yeah, is, is very much a deliberate skill and something you can, you need to practice. And, and it's this, in essence, just putting yourself in another person's shoes. And I think both emotional and cognitive empathy are, are important in any any healthcare movement practice rehabilitative uh, scene, um, because I love emotional empathy because it it just enhances my listening skills beyond anything that I could have ever believed. Because if if it's something that happens automatically and I feel and I take on the emotions that another person is uh, is feeling in that moment, it's so easy then to just reflect that back on them in a form of active listening where I'm just saying like, it just sounds like heart wrenching, like what you're going through. I'm just literally expressing what I'm feeling. And where, whereas cognitive empathy really is what leads us into true compassion. I think like that cognitive empathy skill set is the gate towards truly caring for another person. Like if you take on and do your best to, to put yourself in their experience, in their shoes, 
it's really hard to like, it's really hard to not give a shit then. Geez, you just and totally, you totally skipped all of that with yours and my friendship. I haven't seen a lot of that <laughs> sliding into my DMs, but you know, whatevs. I, so um, I have a level, I have a level of, uh, that I get to where if I'm being a real prick and asshole to you it means on we're a regular like, basis, that means I like really okay. value our friendship. Okay. 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 So, Good so to you're, know, on, okay. you're on another level. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. I feel better now. Right. So, okay. So empathy is interesting because um, I've been having, so my, and we're going to have a, a an episode with my dad, my father uh, up until retiring this year worked uh, with, uh, he's a family relationships counsellor working with a lot of clients with um, drug and alcohol, substance abuse and um, physical abuse, et cetera, from institutions institutionalized care from when they were young so working with a lot of clients who are just as he would say just have no hope like they are feeling hopeless and he was talking a model uh, about a model I'm not sure if you're aware of this about potentially uh, he was talking about the difference between empathy and compassion and that they're kind of two separate things and that uh, for empathy you need to be able to imagine yourself in the same situation as that person to truly show empathy. Whereas compassion, compassion you can have for everyone, whether you can imagine being in their shoes or not, you can, you can show compassion to that person. So I'm wondering if you've sort of like, for me, I find, um, I I think I am a highly empathetic person. And I think when we're, we're talking about things and I'm hearing, you know, like, heavy conversations or someone who is, you know, feeling hopeless or in uh, distress from their situation. Uh, Me personally and in a professional setting in particular, I think I, because I am so, I am so sensitive to things like that. I've found that, um, you know, to truly step into that and try, uh, you know, putting my feet in their shoes is, is too heavy going for me. Does, does that make sense? Like it's hard. Like how do you – do you know what I mean? How do you How mm. do you put yourself in someone's shoes who is in distress, who is feeling hopeless, who is, you know, having a really shitty time in life? And we know when we do the big listen with our clients that that we will hear some heavy stuff, you know. If you just sit yeah. there and you say, hey, tell me a story, what's going on for you, and you shut the fuck up and you listen – they're gonna they're gonna go there with potentially some really heavy stuff. So I've also had this not only in my in my own uh, experience, but also hearing this from uh, students and grads who are working in a clinical setting with clients who are feeling hopeless and in heavy situations. How do you protect? How do you protect yourself in that? Right? How do you not let mm. that? You know, and we and and Pilates instructors, as I'm sure. Uh, physiotherapists as well Pilates instructors tend to be and particularly those who want to go in to work with clients who are in pain etc and want to help get them out of that tend to be really in my and I'm sure you can back me up on this Raph they tend to be a certain sort of person that is empathetic just naturally is sensitive uh, deeply deeply cares and they're like fuck how do I how do I like unpack this how do I not then bring this into the rest of my day into mm-hmm. when I go home and I'm with my family how do I not let it psychologically affect me and how I'm showing up 
I know that was that's really big and heavy, but yeah, I think no, no, it's no. An important... I, I'm happy you brought it up. Like, it's a huge. It, it's such a. It's such an important topic, actually. And um, I would say that I'm uh, as a na- <laughs> naturally, I'm not like hyper empathetic. Uh, maybe, maybe as as empathetic as you describe. Maybe that's why I'm an asshole to you all the time. <laughs> I just, I just it's, no. it's making but so much the, sense. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> the, yeah, so I'm, yeah, I'm a sociopath. I just don't care. Uh, Bro, but, I'm starting to think, but, why are Chloe and Nick friends? Why is this? <laughs> the so what you described mostly there. What when you say when you're taking it on, like that's a emo, that's emotional empathy. And so right. what what I do personally to it's like a zooming in and zooming out effect like so I'm, I use emotional empathy again to reflect the feelings back on them so I know that I'm I've actually or accurately captured what they're feeling right yeah but then even it's a, it's being able to have the skill set to uh, perspective take, put yourself in their shoes and then feel and be with them in that moment. But then zoom out like you you can't get pulled into that because it can very easily just be like this emotional overwhelm. And like people yeah. are some people, some people are just full of like horrible, terrible, tragic stories. And yeah, but but amazing are like amazing um just in how they can get through the day and like just these unbelievable stories of resiliency and but the trick is to to then pull yourself back out because then it's like okay i was there i get it this sucks now let's plan like what can we do like and that's how i that's how i reconcile and and not get pulled too deeply into into what emotional empathy can do because if you're just sitting there and you're like oh god like it's horrible yeah but then it's you can get stuck you can get stuck in it and very much feel like "Mm, there we're not going to get anywhere so it's what i do professionally is i it's like the zoom in zoom out effect and then i'm back out and it's like okay i get that now where are our entry points for for change, what are the low hanging fruit? What can we do? Um, because you're not going to solve, you're not going to solve all the world's problems, and and that's okay. Like, let's 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 pick something that you and I can agree on, and let's let's tackle that. Let's build a little bit of momentum there, because that's what what change is. Like, big change is just small change over and over. Like, get the little things done show that you can do them and then let's tackle the next and then the next. But yeah, I agree. Like you, you, especially people who are very hyper empathetic, like they can get, they can get, uh, just like bulldozed, bulldozed energetically throughout the day and they go home and they're like, holy shit. Maybe, you know, maybe I'd be better off just, uh, working real estate or something like maybe, maybe a different career is good, but and and we could even talk about that, but you know, having boundaries and and taking care of yourself is critical to being a health professional or any movement professional dealing with people who are having a a rough go of yeah. it. It's I think it's like what you say there about zooming in and zooming out um, and having boundaries is so important. It's you know, it's equally important to be able to to put yourself in someone's shoes and to to understand their experience as it is to be able to actually get out of their shoes and observe their experience from the outside, from your own perspective and go, yeah, 
you know, I, I don't have to, I don't have to live there. I don't have to live in their mm-hmm. shoes. You know, I'm yeah. just visiting. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that it speaks to just the relationship centeredness, right? Like you're not, you're not just taking on everything that is them. Like you, you have to bring, you have to bring your own, uh, your own lived uh, knowledge, experience and, and skill set to them as well. Like they are coming to you for a reason. Like we are experts. Some of us, some of us so, more than others. So, all right. So can you give us an example of what, you know, you said, um, you know, agree on something that, 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 or, you know, something that you can do or that they can do that, that you both agree on. So can you give me an example of what like a plan might look like for somebody at the, you know, in the early stages of, you know, dealing with chronic low back pain, um, for example, you know, like what sorts of things will they, will they go off and do? Yeah, it's hard because a, a lot of people come in like wanting, like, I just want the pain gone. And, and I understand that and it's unpleasant. And what, what that doesn't necessarily serve is the necessary ingredients that'll drive intrinsic motivation to actually do things mm. to change. And and just what I mean by that is we, we need to clarify there needs to be something that this pain is getting in the way of or affecting um, that we can tangibly work on. And I am a physical therapist. You know, I work on physical stuff. And so often what I'm my skill set lends its, itself best to are, you know, pain limiting things that you would like to get back to doing that perhaps you aren't doing now. And so I will, I will very much sit down with, with somebody and have a conversation about what that thing is um, and make it, make it very clear that yes, pain management and pain improvement is part of a rehabilitative process, but we need a North star. Like we need something that you are you, you are focused on that we can come back to because if pain gets worse or things flare up and you start to doubt and you think, oh, if this isn't working, what, what are we doing? If you lose sight of that North Star, then we lose sight of the entire, uh, the entire essence of what my, I think my job is. And, and so then it can just get muddled and then we people very much fall into like, well, just do something to make it feel better. And, you know, I sometimes feel that pressure. Where I'm like, like maybe, maybe not. Like it's, it's hard to make that, that decision. But um, so really it's, I, I sort of dissect, okay, people put up with pain for a shit ton of time mm. before they choose to go see a professional. It's like, okay, so something has happened in your life that has served as like some some sort of mirror where you look up at yourself and you're like fuck i got to do something about this like this is getting to be too much mm. or it's it's taking away something and i want to know what that something is cuz that is exactly what i want our focus to be for the entire rehab process and i am going to bring it up every single time you see me mm-hmm. <laughs> because because if it's important to you and it really has to be something that's that's truly important and truly purposeful to them, then it makes uh, a rehab process uh, far more likely to stick to. And I want to clarify: this is far. This is 
far away different from dealing with somebody who's at an maybe an acute episode of yeah. back pain, let's say, where it's like, well, I mean, shit, most often you're going to get better, <laughs> like two to eight weeks, you'll be fine, yeah. generally speaking. Yeah. Let's rule out some bad stuff. I'll give you some general advice. So again, the my approach is different from a persistent basis yeah. to, uh, versus like an acute basis. I just want to felt the need to clarify yeah, that because yeah. people will be like, well, what the fuck? Like this guy's <laughs> digging away at like purpose in life when, when, you know, I just like just was tying my, just, just tying, tying my shoe and my back hurts now. And this guy's like, <laughs> we need to talk about change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I think that, you know, this, this kind of, there's a, there's a really important kind of, paradox I think to just draw out there which is around you know when when people come to you and probably when they come to Pilates as well you know if they have pain whether it's in their low back or any other part you know if that's what's motivated them to come along well you know they're one of their really important goals is I want to get out of pain you know I'm sick of I'm sick of this pain um and you know like you said that it that remains a very important part of any rehabilitative process but the reality is it's not wholly within our control you know medicine you know science currently doesn't have the tools to perfectly solve pain for everyone or even most people and so yes we've got a few little gimmicks and gigaws that we can use to temporarily you know reduce your pain we can you know, massage, we can stretch, we can use heat, we can use exercise, we can use meditation and mindfulness and cognitive behavioural therapy. You know, there's a few little tools, but none of them are spectacularly effective. And even when you combine all of them, they're only like slightly better than any one of them by themselves. So really, yes, you know, pain, pain management and pain reduction is important. It's super important to our clients and we should never disregard it. But it's like we can't promise them the moon in that regard. And, and is, is that, is that, you know, why you think it's you know important to focus on actually getting them back to their valued activities and the things that are, you know, that pain is getting in the way of and the reason, you know, why, that kind of what triggered them to come in the mirror? Absolutely. Yeah. This, this, just the, the complexity of, of the pain experience, right. is so, is so beyond our, our full understanding and, and, you know, we keep peeling back peeling back layers and layers and layers, but it's this dynamic emergence perhaps of this dynamic interactive uh, process where maybe it's related to real or perceived threats. Like maybe that's a good, decent model that we have, but the more we, the more we. It's the least worst model we've got. Yeah, the least worst model. Yeah. And, you know, we can talk about, you know, yeah inactivism and biopsychosocialism and all these like crazy models that yeah. have, have been applied to pain. But at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I can't predict whether or not pain's going to improve in the long haul. And it's, I think it's far more important that we focus on something that I know we can improve. Like I know we can change function. I know I can help you uh, improve your overall activity level and, resiliency and tolerance for activity with or without pain or mm. despite pain and I can help you live well with pain at, at yep. certain times and 
and, and again, yeah, so like the the, go ahead. the 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 emotional salience of it and the the suffering is is a separate entity to the the physical sensation, you know, to the bodily sensation. And I know that from my own personal experience. Um, probably twenty years ago, I had an injury to my right eye socket. I fractured my eye socket, and one of the muscles, uh, the inferior rectus muscle, in fact, the muscle underneath the eyeball that helps you look downwards, pulls the eyeball so you look downwards. It herniated down into the into the the fracture. So basically, the muscle, you know, the the bottom of my orbital bone, my eye socket, fractured, and and the muscle got stuck <laughs> down in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I had a plate put in my eye socket, um, you know, general anaesthetic, and I woke up from the general anaesthetic, and I had this sensation in the right side of my face. You know, um, what I later found out was down the path of the trigeminal nerve. Um, but it's basically if, if you've ever been to the dentist and you've had a, had one of your upper teeth, you know, dentisted on, they give you an injection in your upper, you know, upper jaw somewhere and it makes the whole side of your face blow up, you know, feel like it's blown up like a balloon and, and all tingly and weird, feel like you can't talk properly. Well, that's what I felt like when I woke up because they anaesthetised the same nerve. And I was like, oh, that's weird. They gave must have given me a local anaesthetic and it hasn't worn off yet. And I didn't think because I was a bit out of it. You know, I didn't think like, oh, well, why would they give me a local anaesthetic <laughs> when I'm under general anaesthetic? <laughs> you know, this is, this is the ramblings of a you know, semi-conscious brain. But, you know, the next day, so I didn't say anything to the, hospital staff the next day it was still there and I'm like that's that's really weird and so I said to the nurse oh did you give me a local anesthetic and she was like what what are you what are you talking about <laughs> you were under general and and later when I eventually went to the follow-up with my surgeon a few weeks later it was still there and I said to the surgeon I've got this weird feeling in, he's like oh yeah we must have nicked the trigeminal nerve and I'm like oh well how long will that until that goes away and he said oh probably never oh. and I'm like what the fuck whoa <laughs> you know <laughs> Um, and, and cause that was, you know, I mean, if you've ever been to the dentist, it's really fucking unpleasant, yeah. you know, for the hour afterwards when you're walking around going, I can't feel my fucking face. Yeah. And I was like, if I have to put up with this shit for the next 20, 50, 80, whatever years, like that's going to be bloody horrible. I can't touch my face. It's, it's, it's physically repulsive to me to have that part of my face. I can't even touch it with a feather. I, wow. You know, if I kiss my wife, I have to kiss her on the other side so my nose doesn't touch her nose on that side. Like it really, you know, shaving's really incredibly mm-hmm. uncomfortable on there. And it, But when you look at it on the outside, it just looks normal. So wait, anyway, so Raph, like, you've still got it now? What? Yeah. And well, the other thing was, the other thing was that, so the trigeminal nerve feeds all the way down from your eye, um, down sort of the, the side of your nose and sort of half of your, you know, upper lip and then down into your cheek here. I know because that's I'm tracing the outlines where I feel that horrible sensation. So I had this sensation I, I had this sensation that my the right side of my nose was running. Right? Mm. And I checked and it wasn't. And that was weird because it, I could feel my nose running. And and to this day I still feel my nose running like 24 hours a day. And so that's why I always carry a hanky with me and I wipe my nose cuz sometimes it is running right? But I can't tell the difference because <laughs> it always feels like it is. Um, and I've still got this wow. totally weird sensation in my face. Like I just woke up from the dentist, you know, I just had it, my tooth extracted or something like five minutes ago and my face is you know, blown up like a puffer fish. But you know what? For the first, you know, three or four months after the, after the doctor told me like, yeah, no, it's not going to get any better. I was really despondent, you know, and I was, 
I was I was like, this is fucked. <laughs> you know, I don't want to yeah. live like this. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and then I went through, you know, looking up Google, is there anything I can do about this? And the answer was no. Nope. <laughs> you just have to wait and see and some some small percentage of it will probably fix itself, but most of it not. Um, and, you know, lo and behold, 18 months later, it's, it's still the same. And now it's 20 years later and it's still the same. Um, but you know Whoa. what? Like, and so, you know, I've made some adjustments. Like I carry a hanky with me. Um, I always kiss my wife on, you know, the left side of my, <laughs> my nose. Um, uh, you know, so there are a few things, you know, physical things that I have to do a little bit differently there. And I just shave quickly, you know. Um, but, you know, from one week to the next, I don't even notice it anymore. You know, mm. I never think about it. It's just, I mean, physically, if I, if I uh, can still. Wow. You know, you know eat me out but but it's 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 emotionally it's not a thing you know i don't give a shit about it anymore whatever you know like if you said to me you could wave a magic wand and give me back sensation on the right side of my face i'd be like oh that'd be cool but it's like if you said oh what are your 10 you know most important wishes in the world i wouldn't even think of it i think Mm. you know world peace time travel flying (laughs) invisibility you know but i'll I'll I, I wouldn't even think about could I have the sensation back and I wouldn't it wouldn't even enter my mind you know so the 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 you know so I see that as a successful rehabilitation process even mm-hmm. though the the I don't have pain but the 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 unpleasant physical sensation is still you know a hundred percent there the mm-hmm. scientists don't give a shit about it anymore it's not a thing what a, that's wow a, that's yeah. what a story that's amazing <laughs> I remember you've spoken before about that and I didn't put two and two that that side of your face was still. I remember yeah. you've told me about your nose before, but I didn't. Yeah. I didn't realize that that meant half of your face you couldn't. It's, feel only, it. it's only like it's that much. It's maybe like a quarter of my face. Yeah, just my right, the inner, the medial part of my right cheek, my right side, of my nose, upper lip. Um, Amazing, Ralph. Wow. My eye a little bit. Yeah. Cool story. Anyway, so how, I think that's that's what you're talking about, right, Nick? Is like you we can't Nick's guarantee mind. to take away the pain. <laughs> yeah, but we can, so but I we, am talking about that. Yeah, yeah, we can't guarantee to take away the pain. Maybe we will. Maybe we will a little bit. Maybe we'll make no difference to the pain whatsoever. And you know, there are some things that we can try, but we can't guarantee any degree of success. But mm-hmm. we we can guarantee. Well, not maybe guarantee, but we can have a lot of control over helping you get back to doing, you know, living a full life and engaging with the things that are important to you in a meaningful way and getting satisfaction and, and joy from from life mm-hmm. despite and not not caring about the pain. Yeah, like I, I, I what I'm thinking of, Raph, is I, I can only imagine if, if you would have chosen to continue to seek out and search for ways to fix and change this, like where you you where would you be now compared oh. to what what sounds like has been yeah obvious an obvious degree of acceptance a kind of like fuck it whatever like <laughs> carry on and yeah. uh among i'm sure a, a bunch of other like you know just just mindset and and like mental rehab um that that just goes to show like how wow that's such a that's a hell of a story, man. Yeah, I was not ready for that. Raph, how did you – I'm still – yeah, I'm still – this story is amazing. Raph, so you said there was like 18 months where you were – no, not 18 months. There was a certain amount of time where you felt really despondent about it and really, you know, like yeah. this is yeah. fucked, this is not how – you know, how am I going to go on? 
with this yeah. forever. What, like, what was the change? Like, what, how, you know, you, so you're searching, you're searching for a fix, you're doing all of these things. How did you alter, like, what happened? Well, I didn't search for a fix a lot. You yeah. know, I, you know, the surgeon said, look, you know, we must have nicked the nerve. It sometimes happens. It's really hard to avoid, you know, if you look closely at the fine print I showed you before the operation, that was one of the things. <laughs> right, you've yeah. actually um, wavered that. <laughs> Soz. Um, <laughs> uh, although Oopsies. I don't fucking remember because it was, you know, anyway. Um, <laughs> Sounds like you weren't in the, the best place if you're going in. <laughs> For that procedure anyway, but yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, like I, I think like he told me like it might, you know, whatever degree of regrowth of the nerve is going to happen is going to happen over the next 12 months, you know, uh, and it might be somewhere between zero and 100%, probably closer to zero, you know. Um, actually, he didn't say that. He said he the impression I took away, and this may or may not have been what he actually said, but the, the, what I took away from that meeting was like, oh, it'll grow back in 12 months. All right. Um, and so for 12 months I was like, oh, awesome. You know, when's it, you know, when's it going to grow back? <laughs> and then it's like it's 11 months and 28 days and I'm thinking, hold on a sec, you know, you know when's this supposed to happen? Like, you know, we're getting close to the deadline here. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, so, you know, I'm sort of massaging it and, you know, doing this kind of – and, and, and it, you know, then I went back to him like at 18 months and I was like, you know, it's still the fucking same. And he's like, oh, yeah, I guess that's the that's all, that's all what you've got to live with now. And I'm like, what do you mean that's what I've got to live with? Did he with? deliver you know? it like that too, really? Just like, <laughs> yeah. sorry, too bad, um, too sad. Again, I, like this, you know, I'm, I'm 50 now. This would have been when I was in my mid-20s or yeah. something like that. So it's like I can't remember the nuance of, of how he delivered the, the information. I'm sorry. But um, I don't remember him being incredibly empathic. Mm. Um, let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> um uh, but I think, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I, it, I didn't go through any cognitive therapy or self-help books or acceptance yeah. or meditation. I just like, I just like gradually just lost interest in it and forgot about it. It's like, I've got absolutely no control over this. So why, yeah. you know, it's just like, mm. well, what can I do? Sitting and thinking about it's not going to mm. help. So yeah. just get yeah. on with life, you yeah. know, wipe your nose, make sure you've got plenty of hankies cleaning the drawer and, you know, keep calm and carry on. It's like, there's a, and, and there's I, a, yeah, no, there's a lot of wisdom in, in just that, like that, that's, that's so important. But I think, I think that, you know, a lot of people, I don't see this as a particularly extraordinary process. I mean, a lot of people live with pain and, and you know, other physical symptoms long-term without it really affecting their quality of life, you know? And I think the human I don't. I don't think anything I did was consciously designed. It's just like my brain was like, okay, I'm not going to pay attention to that sensation anymore because it's just it's all it's like this background mm. thing that's always there. So you just ignore it. It's like mm. you know, if you live across the road from the the train line, you don't hear the trains mm. after a while. Yeah, it's you know? so true. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, sorry thanks for sharing that story, Raf. Went off on this side chant tangent, but <laughs> I think you know, I think that's. Uh, why I why I brought that up is because Nick of what you said about you know f- function and return to meaning to engaging with life and and in, and you know engaging in meaningful activities being a much more valuable focus of rehabilitation than solely symptom reduction. Although you know clients are freaking highly motivated by symptom reduction, 
and we can't disregard that. But we also, honestly, it's not within our power to to guarantee that, right? So we have to be mm. humble enough to go, you know what, mm. <laughs> I'll do my best, but, <laughs> you know, we may or may not succeed in that area. So what's a, what's a more important goal that we can actually influence? Mm. And it's hard to navigate that 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 conversation and that communication because if you if you just flat out say that sometimes some people are going to be like well what's the good peace, of you then yeah. peace out bro yeah. uh, I'm, going, I'm going down the road i'm going down the road where they can tell me they can fix me down the road yeah that guy down the road he he's got to fix me for sure yeah he promises sooner, it, guarantees it. So, sooner yeah. or later sooner or later i think people will whether will have to confront that um, that sometimes uh, many of the circumstances and factors that may be driving a, an experience to persist might be out of your control. And I, I think when, when faced with those circumstances, yeah, the acceptance of that and then the kind of, well, you know, <laughs> got to carry on. Like I, it's, it's outside of my power of control. And so, so now what, like, okay, carry on. And sooner or later, people, I think, have to find that out for themselves, whether it's have somebody tell them or they discover it. Like, there's a lot of suffering, I think, that happens when trying to trying to constantly amend a symptom, like trying to constantly find that quote unquote fix. There's so much distress that that and suffering that doesn't need to continue necessarily. Mm. Yeah, we talked we talked with Bronnie Lennox Thompson uh, last week or the week before, and you know that was really a big theme in her in our conversation with her is that you know sometimes the the quest to 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 fix the symptom actually ends up causing paradoxically more suffering <laughs> than because it, it stunts your growth and you and and you can get stuck in you know not living life because you're just in this like I'm just going to wait till this is fixed before I get on with life mm. and 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 20 years later you're still there mm-hmm. yeah no oh, yeah if every if every if every aspect of who you are is trying to undo a pain experience then like mm. are you living are you actually living <laughs> Are you just, yeah, it's, or are you just suffering? And it's, it's quite upsetting to think about actually. So Nick, so, oh, sorry. sorry you go, you go close. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> it's like, I'll go first, you go first. Um, so you've, Nick, and this is, I've seen this happening with your, your Instagram has gone more and more towards, and it was always about, communication and it, I feel like though and correct me if I'm wrong it's gone more that way in the last however however long um you're putting out some really incredible content around you know why communication is important some tips on how to communicate etc so that's obviously something you know you're hugely passionate about and see is hugely valuable to uh, the profession and it's also hugely valued to valuable to our profession as well Pilates and um, etc so with your so you've now created a a mentorship which is around helping clinicians get better at communicating right yeah maybe I need to do it because that didn't come out very easily so, right, like tell me so, more about it Oh, sorry. Can, just bef- before we before we get into that, yeah. could uh, the question I wanted to ask, which is kind of the same question, is like, okay, so if I'm a Pilates instructor and I'm 
you know, I've got, I, maybe I've got some sort of uh, individual, you know, client or, you know, some, maybe I'm teaching a group of five or 10 or 15 people and there, there's someone in that mix somewhere who's got some kind of persistent pain problem, right? But maybe I'd, you know, like the format is such that, okay, they're not expecting to come and have a 45-minute conversation about the meaning of life. They, they're going to hop on the reformer and go, which, you know, which exercise would you like me to start with, you know? So how do we, how do we, you know, how do I as a clinic, as a, as a Pilates teacher, you know, as a movement professional, how do I navigate that, you know, from, you know, how do I, how, how do I provide value to my client who wants to exercise and that's why they paid me the money to be here today? You know, how do we, how do we create opportunities for communication and empathy? And, you know, so that, that, I guess that's the, and that's why I think, okay, there's this clinician, you know, project that you're doing, this mentorship. Um, so yeah, can you kind of walk us through that? And is this is this what the mentorship's for? Yeah, I mean, the the, the mentorship is very much a, a it's more geared towards like uh, clinicians and clinical life, but certainly the the principles that are taught um, will apply to any uh, any relationship, any conversation that that you might act, actually ever have. Um, and so the and, and that's just because human communication and connection. Um, are are not different, right? Like to connect well with somebody, it it doesn't matter if you're you know talking to a loved one or a client. Like I think the principles that underpin uh, really good effective communication are, are all the same. Mm. Um, but it it hadn't occurred to me that um, where where things occur on a on a group level, like um, where where you guys would be teaching to. Um, to many uh, people at all at once. And so, you know, creating, that's a very fascinating thing because in my world, like most, most of my practice is one-on-one. And I guess what, what I'd want to know from you is um, where, where do you see opportunities in your, um, in your practice where, uh, where communication could be better. Mm. Like where where do you see opportunities there in like a studio setting? Yeah, so um, I can I can jump in with with that one. Sure, it's kind of my bread and bread and butter, so to speak. Uh, so particularly the client with the the persisting pain, etc. There is they are always up for a chat. There is always opportunity to chat at the beginning of class before class starts. There might be opportunity to have a, a chat with them at, at reception. There is always, and they are the client that, that that does want to have that because they are also the client that may be um, more fearful of movement. Uh, they may be, you know, They've, they've, you know, they've had a journey with, mm-hmm. you know, identifying with it's my bad back or it's my bad knee or it's my – and I'm, this is their words, not mine. Um, so mm-hmm. there is absolutely – at the beginning, at the end of class, uh, at the, there is always and, – and it is that client that, that wants the chat and I do believe that it's where the – and then there's opportunities throughout the class in order to use words that that, that are affirming and that help to mm. um, create a, a sense of fearless movement whilst also feeling like they're being heard and seen, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So there are touch points absolutely throughout class and, and how the instructor is uh, communicating with them and with the class as a whole. But there is definitely touch points for one-on-one at beginning, end, 
etc. Yeah. And, oh, that's awesome. And also, um, I've you know I've had a lot of success when I was teaching group classes with just reaching out to people and texting them outside. Yeah, or, or email. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Hey, hey, Nick. Um, you know, I've been thinking about you. Yeah. And I've been thinking about what you told me about how your back's been hurting you for four years. And you know, if you're if you're open, I'd love to have a chat with you. Would you mind? You know, would you be open to coming in ten minutes early? You know, sometime yeah, in the next spot on, Raph. Yeah, like, beautiful, beautiful. And people, people have been so grateful to receive. They've been like, "Oh my god, I can't believe you'd, you know, reach out to me." It's like, yeah, yeah people have always received that very well. Yeah, yeah. I, I would use those those sort of special moments that you can create um, before the class, like to just to just very um, create create just a, a context where you're op- asking open ended questions of, of people, like what. What do you want to know uh, about how Pilates might be um, might be useful to you, and how how can I better serve um, serve you in the context of your pain? What what can I help you better understand about pain in general? Whatever it is, and then gathering their own expectations, um, and then just spending time um, throughout the class when when they're doing certain movements, and and you know perhaps poking into pain or. Or whatever, tr- trying to create experiential learning processes, and I'm sure you guys do this all can, the time. Can like you, you, you just guys are double click, yeah. Raph. I'm using one of your terms. Double yeah. click. Can you just double click on poking into pain? Because that might people might be like, "What the <clears throat> hell, poking into pain?" I just mean, well, all I all I mean by that is like m- moving into positions, postures, loads that uh, may be triggering. But what I love about Pilates, even though I don't do it, but what I love about Pilates is there's so much opportunity for novelty in in experiencing movement and not putting limits or bounds on what movement is or should be or how it's supposed to look or feel and just encouraging people to encouraging people to try out novel unique ways to learn that feel good to them and not put any limits on what they're meant to experience or meant to feel or meant to look like. And then uh, just following that up at the end of the class, like how did yeah. that go? Um, like what what was that like for you? And did something surprise you? And, and then just using those as beautiful touch points for, yeah, just breaking down these preconceived notions about what healthcare is, what Pilates is, what we do, and... And then creating these immersive experiences that uh, are very relaxing, very free f- free flowing, and and hopefully creating a positive uh, ex- experience on their pain, mm. whether or not it changes it. Um, and then elaborating a little bit more as they come to become curious, mm. if they are curious, and then. Uh, using that as an opportunity to potentially educate them on something they didn't know about. But the key part of any educational process is checking whether or not they get it, whether or not they actually understand what the hell they're saying or what you're saying. Um, So having them teach it back to you or, you know, having them, you know, say it in their own words so that you can ensure that um, they actually understand that whatever learning happened sticks. And then the, the cherry on top of that might be, well, in your role, like saying, well, how, how are you going to approach maybe something in your life differently because of that? Mm-hmm. Like, is that going to mean something different for you tomorrow? Mm-hmm. 
and and then just putting that little that little stamp on like okay go do something different now like this you know this isn't what you expected pain isn't always what you expected mm. and and now go do go live differently go act differently <laughs> and like so these are all these beautiful areas yeah, in it. your own practice who create really effective powerful dialogue between people really effective communication and and it's almost more powerful in a group setting because when people are moving and grooving together, like it's, it's awesome. We spoke about this yes, just yesterday, Raf, in when you and I were mm-hmm. recording. That that I was saying exactly the same thing, Nick. That um, in in all my years of teaching, the the most success, if success is the right word to say, but. Uh, I felt most helpful to my clients with with uh, persisting pain in a group setting as opposed to one on one because what I found this is and this is just purely in my experience within the one on one setting it, they're more focused in on you know micro every little thing you know so oh no I feel loud oh, no this is my like it's just it's it's the pain the pain the pain whereas in the group setting there's that that they're buoyed on by you know everyone around them and the 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 fun and the all of that and it's um yeah different focus different focus distraction. distraction and yeah so it's a very has, like it, it's such an innate human thing to do like this is this transcends like cultures and time where we do get together in groups and we do often move in unison and there are like so many like so much evidence of historical ritualistic movement practices that were like just incredible experiences when people are moving in unison and together um it it captures this this essence that is so human and so us and um and yet does motivate like um us to to be playful and have fun and what what that does for you know stress levels and the ability to relax and and be experimental and be creative and feel good Mm. moving your body and experiencing the body that you're in like there there's so much power in that and then I just love the the idea of then like coming together afterwards and like making sense of it all or trying to figure out why that was so great for somebody who uh, maybe hadn't had that experience before so I really Mm. think what you guys do and the setup that you have is really really sweet um Maybe Moves got to steal some of that and apply it to to my clinic somehow. <laughs> so, so yeah. So tell us about the about your mentorship and who that's for and 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 what it's for. Yeah, it's for any movement or allied health professional who really wants to get serious about communication and connection. And and if people think they're good communicators, that's usually a red flag to me. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like, what does that even mean? Um, it's it's just this, uh, because communication is so emergent, like, I don't know what I'm going to say two seconds from now, but it's it's an eight-week program that teaches principles, and it's a, every week touches on a different topic surrounding really the, the clinical world of communication, but it certainly transcends uh, the clinical realm and can be applied to any health or movement-based practice in general. Uh, And so, yeah, it's meant for people who want to get serious about the power of communication. And I mean, there is immense power in 
everything we say. We have no idea what the words we say to another person can do for them to spiral them into chaos or to uplift them, empower them and redirect them towards the the hope and towards the the light that they desire. And Raf told a freaking story today where there was a miscommunication and he thought 12 months, his face was going to be better and it wasn't. And that was fucking distressing. And I saw a client today who was told that her ankle fracture, she was going to be dandy six weeks after the break. And she wasn't. And she was so stressed and so anxious and just a mess today. And so it's all these little nuances that happen that fire me up and just motivate me to create a space where practitioners can practice communication skills, learn, grow together and become better overall emotionally intelligent practitioners, because that's at the end of the day, what I think the world needs. And that's what healthcare needs. We're trying to just put the care back into healthcare through relationship centered, um, effective communication oriented, uh, processes and care models. And so that's what I do. (laughs) Eight weeks. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, it, I think, you know, absolutely that, you know, the communication thing is so powerful. And I, I can think of the other side of the coin as well, where I've had you know, a few times I've had the experience of people coming to me you know, via DM on social media or whatever and saying like, oh, I'll never forget, you know, you influenced me so powerfully. This thing you said, I'll never forget when you said blah, 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 five years ago. I'm like, I've got no recollection of ever saying that. It must have just been some off-the-cuff, flippant, throwaway, and that's like it's had such a profound effect on somebody. And it's like, oh, what if I actually knew how to produce that effect more reliably? What what did I do? How do do I do more of that? And so I think that's that's the other side of the coin, right, with the communication is we can can really level up the -hmm. the positive effect that we're having. Yeah, no, I I truly believe every every time you interact with another person is – is an opportunity to to leave them better than you found them. And mm. y- you don't necessarily need to do that. Like, yes, hands-on skills are fantastic, but I think there's so much more power in, in showing people and, and guiding them towards what they can do for themselves. Um, because, again, at the end of the day, they're the ones who, cr- who create and, and do the change. Like, it's a famous quote. It's like, you can only change yourself. Like you, you can't change anybody else. And so, um, I don't think I do change anybody. I create insights. I, I help them find what's already within, like what's already there because people are smart. People know, uh, deep down, I think what they need to do. They just need, they just need one to be heard and understood because so often they're just invalidated and it's tragic how, how, you know, how much suffering just comes from invalidation, just not actually acknowledging what the person is going through. Um, But then at the end of the day, yeah, like they, once they know that you're there, then you can work together and you can help them find solutions to the problems and help lead them towards what they want. And, you know, the body, the mind is awesome. It can change and it will change if you create Mm. the, the right conditions for it. Oh, right. what a great what a great place to leave it yeah awesome chat thanks for coming <laughs> on Nick that was really great yeah it was a lot of fun <laughs>